It's time now for The Complete Story with Rich Bott and Evan Fowler, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now here is Rich Bott and Evan Fowler with today's Complete Story. Folks, we are living in strategic times. And Evan, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks, Rich. Good to be here. And there's nothing more strategic, I believe, than what is going to be happening in Washington, D.C. on oh, November yeah. 17th. This is a really big deal. It is. Is, absolutely. For the for the kingdom of God, for the gospel, for what I hope will be a great awakening across our land, a, another great awakening style revival, where people will get back into the Bible, people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. A lot of folks have been praying about this, and I'm talking about the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. It's going to be opening, I, I believe the grand opening is November 17th. Our guest on today's complete story, all the way from Oklahoma City is Stephen Bickley, the vice president of the Museum of the Bible. For so, Stephen, welcome to the complete story. Rich Evan, thank you for having me. We are very excited. Do I have the date right? Is it November seventeenth? Yes, it's hard to believe. Just a couple weeks away, but uh, we'll be dedicating the museum on the seventeenth and uh, opening the doors to the public on the eighteenth. Now, I've had a chance to have one of those hard hat tours through the, through the site uh, as construction was in progress. And what thrilled me was to know that it's not merely about ancient artifacts and uh, texts and so forth, but it is about the narrative of the Bible and to preserve the message and the meaning of the Bible for future generations right there in our nation's capital, just a a few blocks away from the uh, Smithsonian uh, museums. It's right in that same general vicinity. But isn't that true that, that the narrative of the Bible is told throughout the whole exhibits? Absolutely, Rich. Uh, there's three primary floors on the museum. There's a, a history floor, uh, a narrative floor, and an impact floor. And the uh, narrative floor that you're referring to is it's split pretty much uh, half to the Hebrew Bible and uh, half to the New Testament. And uh, on that New Testament uh, section, we have uh, a theater uh, where uh, we tell a show a 12-minute movie that talks about uh, the life of Jesus, and it starts with a Roman centurion uh, witnessing the crucifixion. Then we move on to uh, as talking about his resurrection and tell that whole story. And then we also have uh, a walkthrough exhibit, uh, The World of Jesus of Nazareth, and it gives a great contextual setting to better understand the parables that he told. And how appropriate in our nation's capital. You know, we honor the Declaration of Independence. We honor our Constitution. But the document that really undergirds both of those is the Word of God. And so now we'll have a museum of the Bible right there in our nation's capital. Yes, we uh, we were very blessed to find a, an amazing location. It is, as you said, three blocks from the Capitol. It's a three-minute walk from the Air and Space Museum. It's right there uh, with all the other Smithsonian's, and there is no better place to have uh, the world's greatest book, a museum to the world's greatest book, there in our, our nation's capital, which is really the museum-going capital of the world. Now, here we are right in the middle of celebrating the 500th year 
of the Reformation, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door. Now, last Sunday we aired, I mean, just yesterday, we aired a, a broadcast, special broadcast, produced by the Museum of the Bible honoring this event, and we're going to air it again tomorrow. At this time, when you normally hear a complete story, you're going to be hearing this special broadcast by the Museum of the Bible about the Reformation. Here's more about that. When Martin Luther wrote his 95 Theses, it changed the course of history and Christian theology. Join us here for 1517, From Wittenberg to the World, a radio special from Museum of the Bible for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I cannot and will not recant anything. Here I stand, I can do no other. Don't miss 1517, From Wittenberg to the World, brought to you by Museum of the Bible. If you missed it yesterday, which was Reformation Sunday, you'll hear it tomorrow at this time when you normally hear complete story. And tomorrow actually is the anniversary of the Reformation, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's, uh, <laughs> it's amazing that uh, we're right here in these times and that the museum uh, and what we get to do to invite people to engage with the Bible is at such historic times and at such momentous occasions. Now, Stephen, when I, when I talk to people about the Museum of the Bible, if they don't know anything about it, the first thing is they think it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's a museum. I'm going to be talking to them about a museum. But it's not merely a museum. It's about the Bible. And it tells the story of the Bible in a very, very exciting and relevant way. You know, you don't have to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. And this museum reveals the Bible's relevance throughout history and up to our current day and into the future, Lord willing, for future generations. How did you get involved in the Museum of the Bible? Um, uh, so I'm a businessman and uh, was, was very blessed to work in the telecom industry and um, felt that uh, it was time to... Uh, followed Bob Buford's advice. If you've ever uh, read any of his books about halftime, making the first half of your life about success and the second half about significance. Yes, going from success to significance. And that's exactly kind of the strategy my wife and I uh, laid out, and we wanted to do something that would have uh, a lasting meaning, something that could have an impact not just on a few lives, but literally... Um, on this whole world, and uh, God blessed us and got us uh, connected with Museum of the Bible. And uh, when I heard that their mission statement uh, was all about inviting all people to engage with the Bible, I said, I'm all in. That's something that, that I uh, can give my life's energy and work towards because I fully believe in it. I think there has been nothing... Um, other than my faith that has changed my life, than mm. the, the Bible. And uh, I think this world that we live in would be a much better place if more people uh, engaged with this book of all books. Now, we have the Green family to thank for this, the Green family of Hobby Lobby and, and Mardell Christian stores and so forth, and we just thank them. But this was a vision of theirs uh, f for a long, long time. Can you tell us about how this was born? Yeah, you know, it, it started as an idea, um, and the Greens, as you had uh, said, are uh, the uh, founder, Steve Green, is the, the founder of our organization, but it's transcended beyond just the Greens. We have over 50,000 
uh, donors that have come along and supported us. It is that big of a vision and that big of an organization that it needs everyone uh, to join us. Um, but the Green started in, in 2009, and um, as they often do, they take a idea that's a little bit small, and they make it bigger, they make it better, and uh, before you know it, we ended up with a 430,000-square-foot museum <laughs> in Washington, D.C. It has eight primary floors, um, and we we estimate that it'll take uh, probably uh, eight to nine full days in the museum if you wanted to read and see all the content that we have. So there's a lot uh, there to engage people with the Bible. Yeah, Steve, that's amazing. One of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, this was founded, as I understand, in 2010. That's when this vision began. But as Rich mentioned a few minutes ago, this museum is located in a really str- well. It's located in a strategic city in the United States, but it's also located strategically within that city. It's a it's amazing uh, where it is. How how did you come about that location? The uh, we did a survey and we engaged a firm to take a look and say what which city is the the right city to locate Museum of the Bible. There are three primary choices. There is New York City. Uh, Dallas and Washington, D.C. And the research firm said, without a shadow of, of a doubt, the best place to locate uh, a new museum would be in Washington, D.C. So some of our advisors started looking looking for property uh, that would come up, and it was on a, on a visit for one of those properties, which would have been a little bit too small um, that the current property came available. And uh, it was a historic building, a 1920s refrigerated warehouse that has been completely repurposed uh, to fit this museum. Um, It is blessed to have a subway stop that is right underneath uh, the building so people can avoid all the D.C. traffic and get right there. It's right, uh, it's a three-minute walk from the mall. And the development... uh, uh, organization in D.C. and the Tourism Department, Destination D.C. This is uh, one of the most critical, strategically important projects for the uh, city because as they as the mall has become fully developed in the museum corridor, they want to continue to develop the areas towards the waterfront. And so this is uh, really the gateway project for them and that redevelopment and expansion of the core within D.C. Now, Stephen, when you say it was a, uh, a refrigerated warehouse or something like that, it doesn't sound very high-tech, but I think they have, uh, because of the, the zoning laws and everything, they've kind of maintained the character of the exterior, uh, other than those beautiful doors, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes, but inside is an amazingly high-tech museum. This, this has some really terrific innovations in terms of technology. Uh, yeah, one of the things we are very excited about, you know, uh, and it's such an interesting story. The Bible itself is always an early adopter of technology. Um, in uh, in the with the New Testament, uh, the transition from the scroll to the codex was because it allowed uh, the Bible to in those books of the Bible to be 
um, produced uh, faster, uh, lighter, and easier to carry and transmit. And now, then you go to. Well, now what do you mean? When a lot of people, press, a lot of us, a lot of people like me don't know what you mean when you say it went from the scroll to the codex. I think I, I almost, well, he, I almost think I heard you say yeah. codex, but you said codex. Uh, codex, yeah, C O D E X. The um, the Hebrew scroll would could weigh up to twenty five pounds. And so in antiquity, that was how the, the Hebrew um, Bible was written on scrolls. Right. And then the, the technology innovation, which is really just the form of a modern book, mm. but it was written on papyra, and it was written on both sides, and it was on sheaths of paper, which made it a lot easier and faster to produce. And so you see the Bible adapting, adapting this technology so that it can be disseminated to more people and faster. And that's also what the Reformation's about, was disseminating the Bible and getting it into the hands of the common people. And with uh, uh, Gutenberg and the printing mm. press, the very first book uh, with movable type printed is the Bible. And uh, same is true with apps and version with yeah. the Bible app. And so in that history, we have absolutely embraced uh, technology and say, how do we, as a museum, reinvent the museum-going experience with technology to make it enjoyable to yeah. guests of all ages um, and really allow people to interact and engage with the Bible how they want to? Yeah, you know, I, I heard, um, uh, I heard uh, James McDonald preaching about this just a day or two ago, talking about the, the historicity of the Bible and how we have ancient texts that we can look to that confirm that the the bibles that we're reading today are very accurate according to the the manuscripts and we have lots of them early manuscripts and it's places like the museum of the bible that helps to document that absolutely and uh, and we'll use technology to help tell that story we have digital guides that have indoor GPS navigation, so when you're standing in front of an exhibit or an artifact, the handheld device, which is basically a smartphone, will recognize where you're at and tell you about what you're looking at in front of you and uh, allows you to program your trip. We also have used that technology to create uh, theaters um, and other displays, and it's all about one purpose, which is... um, engaging people with the Bible. How do we use technology to facilitate that? Because we're about one thing and one thing only, and that's the Bible. Amen. Stephen, uh, let me ask you this now. You say you have like 50,000 donors, but if if there's a listener out there that would like to become 50,001, how do people get involved? How do people become a part of what you're doing there with Museum of the Bible? Well, probably the easiest way is to join and be a member. Uh, we like to say um, that members make visitors possible. So if you are philosophically aligned to what the Museum of the Bible is about, if you want to see more people engage with this book of all books, um, then become a member and visit museumofthebible.org, and it's just backslash memberships. We have a whole series of membership options that can fit anyone's budget. Um, and the most important thing is that money goes to help uh, um, sustain the operations of the museum so that we can invite people every single day 
and assist them in their journey to learn more about this book. Stephen, you you mentioned all ages just a moment ago, and and we have a lot of parents and grandparents who listen, and they're thinking, you know, this would be a great thing for our family to do. What what would it look like? I mean, how young a child would uh, would get something out of the Museum of the Bible? And then what does it cost to get in? I mean, that's what families uh, have to look at their costs and expenses, but what, what does it take to get through the doors, and, and uh, how should a family plan for prob- this? And it's probably best to become a member. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, uh, one of the great things uh, about this museum is it is free. It's free with a suggested donation, so everyone is absolutely welcome, and that's why membership is important to us, because members make those free visitors possible. Isn't that neat? You know, it, because it's like the gospel. The gospel is free, but the gospel is of infinite value. The gospel is very, very costly. It costs Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, but he offers it to us for free. And certainly the Museum of the Bible must be a huge investment to make possible, but then you offer it free to the public. Wonderful. Um, And so with respect to to, uh, families and with, with kids and it truly is an intergenerational experience. We have a Courageous Pages area for the young kids uh, where they can engage in activities that are very suitable to their uh, learning and their cognitive learning style, um, and all the way up every, every different age. And that's where, as we were talking a little earlier about the technology, we do believe that uh, teenagers, you know, that are so caught up in their smartphones are going to be uh, thrilled to kind of see some cutting-edge technology deployed and find out what they can do with these handheld devices in the museum. So it's perfect if there's homeschoolers Mm. out there. I think it's a fabulous trip, uh, and you can uh, look at all the other museums in D.C. while you're there. Um, and make Museum of the Bible the center point of that visit. But truly, it's appropriate uh, for every single age, and the uh, technology allows us to gear learning uh, to the various interests and uh, education levels of the guests coming through the museum. And it opens November 17th. I want to talk with you in just a few minutes about the activities that are going to surround the grand opening and uh, some of the special kickoff events. But first, we have a four-minute overview of the Museum of the Bible that we want our listeners to hear. The Bible, as a historical artifact, if we look at it just in that way, is vital to understanding Western culture. The Bible as a book is more than just uh, a transmission of a narrative or an oral history or any kind of um, literary tradition. It is, in essence, the book of all books. It's the best-selling book of all time. It still has more impact than any other book ever written. The Bible's significant not because it's talking about itself, but because it's pointing beyond itself. When we first got started, uh, we were just looking at buying an artifact or two, and uh, we kept uh, having opportunities being presented, and we just kept buying. Today, uh, we have over 40,000 items in the collection. This is not a small-time operation. The breadth of the collection is kind of breathtaking. Mr. Green's vision is is actually the fruition of what people have been dreaming about for decades. This is about the Bible. It's not about a faith tradition or a church or a denomination. It's about a book. We're trying to present the biblical narratives 
in a clear, objective, um, just descriptive way, because people just don't even know the stories. And part of the history we're trying to tell is to do justice to the wide range of people who have claimed this book as their own, who have participated in it at survival, who have had their lives changed by it. Some of the exciting objects that we have that people would recognize are, of course, our Dead Sea Scroll fragments. Papyrus 39, it's a fragment from the Gospel of John found at the site of Oxyrhynchus. It is from a passage in John 8, and with its third century date, that papyrus is the earliest surviving witness for that passage in John. We have one of the largest collections in private hands of Torah scrolls. And it's really an incredible conflation of all the Jewish communities throughout Europe, Middle East, and North Africa. The collection contains just about every significant biblical imprint. Um, that has ever been printed in America. These artifacts, which deserve to be studied, are being made available at a high rate for the people who are, who have spent years of their lives acquiring the understanding to learn from them. There's just moments of awe. The wealth of information that they have provided related to the Bible, its transmission, its history, is un completely unparalleled. Museums are a contemporary commentary on our culture. So Washington, D.C. is a great location for us to be able to share this story with people all over the world. Putting ourselves in the middle of that um, holds us to quite a high standard and says that we're willing to engage on that level. To have the Museum of the Bible there as a part of that overall culture adds to the commentary of who we are. I really hope that they will leave there with a spark in their heart and their soul. They'll want to know more and learn more and come back. Whether they're young or old, people of faith, all ethnicities, that it will just spark something in their heart. So I'm rather bold about asking people to get involved. We hope this is an encouragement to people. If we can bring a greater awareness to our world of this book and its potential impact, uh, that is an exciting venture to be on. It is an exciting venture. Stephen Bickley is our guest on today's Complete Story. This is Rich Bott together with Eben Fowler. And Stephen Bickley, is uh, he serves at the Museum of the Bible's Vice President of, listen to this, Marketing, Administration, and Finance, where he guides the museum's external communications and internal administration efforts. So he knows everything that's going on there inside and out. God bless you, Stephen. Thank you for sharing with us about the Museum of the Bible. Now, tell us about some of the events that are going to be taking place surrounding the grand opening November 17th. Uh, well, it is, a, uh, it is going to be a fun-filled, and for those of us who work there, an absolutely crazy week. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but we're excited. Um, Starting uh, the, on the uh, 14th, we have uh, member days, and so uh, for uh, members that are the enthusiasts that, that have given $1,000, they're able to come in and really be the very first to see the museum and tour it uh, and almost have a private viewing uh, of the museum, and so that will be on the 14th, 15th, and 16th. We have uh, events uh, at night. Uh, that will celebrate this. Then 
Uh, we've got a, a dedication gala on the evening of the 16th, and we roll into the day of the 17th, uh, and literally uh, every half hour is scheduled with something going on, um, and dedications, and then on the morning of the 18th, we open the doors to the public. We've got uh, our theater, which is a 472-person theater, um, and the debut show there is Amazing Grace, the Broadway musical. And that's and, uh, and that's the story of William Wilberforce, who led to the abolition of the slave trade across the British Empire. Yeah, John Newton uh, wrote the uh, the story and the Wilberforce and uh, and all that Reformation activities that were uh, taking place there in Britain at, at that time, and really tells the story behind um, John Newton, who was a former slave trader who had a conversion. And uh, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me um, is. Uh, I once was lost, but now I'm him. found, was yeah. br- blind, and now I see. And that really is the central message of, of the Bible. And, and really, I'm so glad that you selected this uh, at, at the very beginning because it sets the stage for everything that follows. Well, and that's, uh, it just fits. Everything that at the museum will be about the Bible and celebrating the Bible. And so whether it's a Broadway musical um, or it's going to be a gathering of people uh, there or it's going to be a lecture uh, that we have, it's uh, all about uh, the Bible and, and the impact that Bible has had on every single area of our lives. Stephen, you talked about the theater in this first performance, but uh, and, and you've also talked about some of the incredible technology that's being used in the museum. There's some amazing technology used in that theater. Tell us about that. It's called digital mapping. And so what digital mapping does is it takes every inch of the theater and maps it uh, on a computer module. And then with uh, we have nine different projection cameras that have this... Uh, I don't know, tens and tens of thousands of lumens, so very, very bright cameras. What we can do is through lighting, we can make the whole theater uh, a stage. And so imagine, if you will, um, the you're on a, a John Newton, and we're telling the part of the story about him, and there's going to be a shipwreck, and so you're on a slave ship. We can make whole ocean come alive in the theater, wow. make it storm on the walls of the theater with the, with the sound. And there literally is no end. It's a canvas now with light and technology that theater producers can start writing and crafting uh, for. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, it's the only uh, theater uh, of its kind that has employed this technology. Uh, Stephen, we talked about families coming to visit the Museum of the Bible, homeschoolers and, and uh, so forth. But what about groups? Well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm imagining church groups are going to want to take a bus and bring a whole load of people to see the Museum of the Bible together. How do you do that? We would love that, that. And, and we're absolutely hoping for that. Uh, groups are welcome. Uh, everything is a time ticket, so we encourage people to go online and book a time ticket. And if groups want to make a reservation, they can reserve a spot. We will have a special group tour, a gift for groups, and uh, we can take them through a meeting place to keep them all there. And school uh, groups, what a, what a wonderful educational experience. Yeah, there is no book that has had more impact on Western civilization than the Bible. 
And so, absolutely, uh, we are an educational institution, so it's perfect for schools. All right, Stephen, give us that website, and is there a phone number or any other way that people can contact uh, the Museum of the Bible to get more information or to arrange for tickets or to provide for a group visit? Yeah, right now the best way to do it is to go to museumofthebible.org. And uh, you can go uh, uh, on there, and from that, decide what you want. Um, you'll find information on groups and group reservations, um, booking your time ticket to get in the museum. Uh, if you'd like to make a donation, you can do that there. If you'd like to join and become a member and help us make uh, visitors possible, uh, we'd love to have that. All of that is at museumofthebible.org. All right. Well, Stephen Bickley has been our guest on today's Complete Story. We've been talking about the Museum of the Bible grand opening November 17th and then open to the public for everybody to begin touring on November 18th. Now, yesterday we aired this special broadcast by Museum of the Bible 1517 from Wittenberg to the world, and it'll air again tomorrow, which is actually the 500th anniversary That's right. of at, the uh, Protestant Reformation. Yeah, 2 o'clock Central Time. Right 500 here. years ago tomorrow, Martin Luther nailed those theses to the Wittenberg door, uh, in, in many ways uh, beginning the Protestant Reformation. So tomorrow, instead of Complete Story, you're going to hear that special once again, 1517 from Wittenberg to the World, compliments of Museum of the Bible. Well, Stephen Bickley, thank you for the Museum of the Bible. Please thank the Green family for me and all of the people that are helping to make this possible. Once again, give us the website and phone number if people want to support this. Uh, museumofthebible.org. We'll do it all on the web. It's the best customer experience right now. And uh, Rich and Evan, thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you uh, both in D.C., hopefully here in a couple weeks. Thank okay. you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. For uh, Bot Radio Network, this is Evan Fowler and Rich Bot as a public service.